Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. You know, we've been covering this case, and, you know, it's become known as the Kansas City case, but I'd like to use the, uh, the, the victims' names. The, the death of Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington, and they've become known basically as the Kansas City Three, the Kansas City fans, Kansas City Chief fans, and I'd like to call them by their names because they did have names and they do have names. So as you can see, the thumbnail on the screen, Toxicology Report is back on the Chiefs fans, the, the gentlemen, I just read their names of Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington. And they found fentanyl, cocaine, and THC present in their, in their blood. Now, this is a little bit unusual because usually the toxicology report takes six to eight weeks to come back. However, they had this back quicker and they didn't publicize it to the press. They, they gave it to the family who in turn leaked it to the press. So what this gives us, though, is all kinds of now conjecture on this case. And don't forget, we, we brought up, there are five uh, manners of death, right? Homicide, suicide, accidental, natural, and undetermined. And right now, this is an undetermined death investigation, but, we, well, undetermined in the way that, was it accidental? Well, no, I don't think anyone takes drugs accidental, even though no one meant to uh, overdose on these drugs. Uh, so it fits undetermined. It's undetermined thus far. And a lot of people are jumping, of course, to the arrest of Jordan Willis, who is the gentleman who lived in the home, did not own the home. I said, tell you, when you say you own the home, everyone on the chat goes crazy. He rented the home in which the football watch party took place. And the three gentlemen that are known as the Kansas City fans, Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington, were at his house to watch a football game. And at some point, well, there was alcohol, and at some point, they ingested drugs. We, we know that, all right? And we know that they wound up going at some point to the backyard, because that's where they were found two days later. And now, is the cause of death, uh, what, did they freeze to death? Was it hypothermia, or was it the fentanyl? Apparently, the amount of fentanyl that was in their system was lethal, L-E-T-H-A-L, -E not legal, lethal, with a T. So that in itself could have caused their death. But because the results of the autopsy have not yet been made public. We don't, in fact, know the actual cause of death. So there's all kinds of conjecture going out by all different types of broadcasts. And one of the things I would like to say, we feel, we at Police Off the Cuff really feel for the families in this case and the three gentlemen who lost their lives. This is a tragedy from minute one, you know. But I think we can't lose our heads and immediately say, oh, 
Jordan Willis should be arrested immediately for murder. Wait, let, let's let's hold off, right? First of all, people cannot be arrested unless they have something in this country called probable cause, which is our facts and circumstances that would allow a reasonable person to believe that a crime has been committed and a person being arrested committed that crime. They don't have that yet, or maybe they will never have it. How do we know that one of the gentlemen that died didn't supply the drugs? We don't know that. We don't know any of these factors, but people are jumping into, oh, someone's got to be arrested for this. We have to wait. We have to do a proper investigation. The autopsy report must come back. The official toxicology report must come back. So, folks, that's where we're going to talk about tonight. That's where we're leading to is where is this case going now, right? So we know now that drugs were undoubtedly a factor in the deaths of these three friends, these three Kansas City Chiefs fans that we just don't want them known as that. We want them known by the name Clayton McGainey, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington. So, folks, hold on to your seat. You're about to enter the true crime world of police off the cuff. Get ready to enter the off-the-cuff zone. There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town and branch microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. I'm going to get right into it, guys. And joining me tonight is my excellent co-host, retired NYPD Sergeant, Professor of Criminal Justice at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut. Loyal degree. Let's not keep them holding in the green room any longer. Let's welcome Professor Mike Geary. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Billy. Good evening. Thank you for having me on. Good evening, everyone. Well, Mike, I don't know if I could do this without you tonight, but... Uh, there's Mike, there's so much, so much conjecture. And we, you know, we watch the news, we'll play some of the news clips and stuff like that. But you know, this was a surprise uh, that the toxicology report came out so quickly. Because as we said, it usually takes six to eight weeks. Uh it's only well, this occurred on on the seventh, right? right. So we have <clears throat> 26 days, uh, which is less than four weeks. So we're talking usually six to eight weeks. So it's very early for the toxicology report. And now it's not officially out. It was given to the family members who in turn leaked it to the press and then things just exploded and conjecture, rumor, and innuendo just run rampant. Your thoughts? Yeah, Billy, it's uh, preliminary right now. It's not the official, like you say, that official uh, final um, toxicology report will be made public in the future. Um, apparently, the, uh, some preliminary information was about the toxicology report was given to the uh, families of Mr. Harrington, Mr. Johnson, and um, Mr. McGinney. And uh, therefore, it, as you said, it, it created a storm right now. And that's what we're dealing with. And unfortunately, uh, 
with this little bit of information, people feel like now we're armed. We have information, but we're not armed with probable cause to go out and make an arrest and solve this crime. Um, 100%. We're far away from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony Kagay, the attorney for the family of McGinney, says the report is just the first step in finding out what happened to the three men. Kagay prefaced his comments by saying he has not personally seen the report, which has not yet been officially released by the police. He says, I don't think anyone familiar with this situation or this investigation thought that there wasn't something else in play here. And I think that the toxicology report is going to be the first step on many steps in the investigation as to who is responsible for these men's tragic deaths. Police from the outset said they did not suspect foul play in the deaths, and that is not a homicide investigation. And it is not a homicide investigation. Since then, the families have questioned the initial steps police took and their relative silence in the weeks since the bodies were found January 9th. The three men had gathered with other friends two nights prior to watch a Kansas City Chiefs football game and are believed to have been last seen alive by Jordan Willis. Willis is the man who lived at the home where the three bodies were found. He has since moved out and reportedly checked into rehab. Um, I just want to say something, Mike. If you respond as an investigator, as a detective, as the police, to this situation and you go into the yard of a home and you discover three bodies in that yard, three men, young men, the oldest of them, I believe, was 38, three healthy young men dead. You treat that as a homicide investigation until facts and circumstances dictate to you that it no longer is. But you must treat that as a homicide investigation. In this case, they did do a consent search mm-hmm. on the home. They did actually have um, Jordan Willis in handcuffs. And I don't know, was that for their own protection? I, I don't know the exact circumstances. Were they considering arresting him? Usually when you take someone in, if they're suspect and you don't have probable cause, you don't want to arrest them. No, you don't really want to put those cuffs on. Yeah. No, you want to take them in voluntarily so that they're not subject to what you and I know as the Miranda warnings, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Because once they're under arrest, once you establish probable cause, you must read Miranda. So they did bring uh, 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 Jordan Willis in, however, not in handcuffs, which is a smart investigative thing to do. That's right. But the, the, the newspapers are criticizing the hell out of the police, right? First of all, a death investigation is just that. If they do not have probable cause, enough probable cause to make an arrest yet, then why is everybody going crazy? That's the law. The law is you must have probable cause. That's the law of arrest. If they don't have it, how are they criticizing these police for not arresting Jordan Willis? How? How? Billy, it's like it's a, the natural thing. They want it tied up neat in a bow and handed to the district attorney for prosecution for murder uh, pretty much instantly. We saw this with the Koberger case. Um, absolutely. If you arrive at that scene and there's two dead bodies, two young men, uh, two men in the, in the backyard, they're frozen stiff, uh, they're dead. And there's one on the porch, I think, sitting in a chair, somewhat like reclining a chair. And the only person alive on that property 
is uh, you had to wake him up out of a comatose situation inside. Absolutely. I want to talk to that person. I want to talk to him there at the scene. I want to get consent to search that place. If he gives consent and I want to take him back down to headquarters, not in handcuffs, you know, nothing like that. Like you say, you don't trip Miranda rights. You bring in there and you tell him, look, we need to talk to you. We need, want you to make a statement. We're going to videotape you. We want to get out our legal pads and do all that other stuff. And I would have someone from the district attorney's office there listening in. Um, but, you know, at that point now, while you're doing that, there are detectives there at the scene looking at this very, very suspicious scene. They're doing a preliminary uh, look before they take him away to the morgue to see if there's any sort of, um, uh, what do you call, uh, initial you know, indications of blunt force trauma, bleeding, stabbing, you know, things like that. Um, and at that point, if you've got a person who, you know, and without those things, if you've got a person who is, has been living in the community, has a job, has never been arrested, you know, has a decent background and they're not a flight risk, you know, you take their statement, you do that stuff and you let them know, we'll be in touch with you. Don't, don't, don't go away. We'd like to talk to you again in a couple of days. But the, the natural thing is people like, that's it. He's alive. Lock him up. He's got to be the guy. And that's not necessarily so. You know, Mike, one of the things that I'd like to, to go out to all of our audience, when people do drugs, they do them voluntarily, right? No one's, you know, shoving uh, the drugs down their throat or making them smoke a joint. There was THC in their blood right. also. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know wh what form the fentanyl took, what form the, the cocaine, obviously. So, now the culpability goes to the person who supplied those drugs. Right. And that person can be arrested because we, we covered this on the last show. Offering drugs to someone, even if you give it to them, it's considered sale. Exactly. It's considered a drug sale. So, again, if Jordan Willis is the one that offered or gave, yeah, he, he could be facing a murder charge. But right now, the police are not saying that. I want to play this timeline that was put in place by um, – News Nation. I think it's a little bit informative here. I was just going, uh, turn off all my lights. I was getting ready for bed, locking the doors. I went to lock my front door and I saw a woman come out of the backyard on her phone and she looked, she looked distressed because she kept looking back towards the house and I thought it was weird. The next morning, I saw the news that they had found three dead bodies, and I just was kind of in disbelief. I was like, wow, I watched that happen. I'm furious. Everybody's furious. Nobody believes this story. When they left his home after the game, um, he didn't even really know which door they went out. They were in the backyard. He doesn't use that particular door. He goes out in the front. Um, and so he had no knowledge that they were out there until, uh, you know, Tuesday when he was told that they were out there. At this point, the country knows what's going to happen, right? What the toxicology reports are going to, what they're going to reveal. We all know that. Okay? Who is the one that gave it to them? And who is the one that needs to be held responsible? I mean, I think it's important to note that at this point, 
no official toxicology report has been released. What I can say is that this is just the first step. I, I don't think that anyone familiar with this situation or this investigation thought that there wasn't something else in play here. So there is no doubt, Mike, that in this situation, and that, that was a pretty good little timeline. Yeah. I would have kept that house as a crime scene. I would have froze that house up, yeah. and I would have had it processed by the our crime scene unit or, who, well, in Kansas City, whoever does their crime scenes. Because once you don't do something correctly from the beginning, you can't correct it later on. So look what happened here. Are the police being scrutinized and criticized for not doing a search. And what it turns out, they did a consent search. Mm -hmm. In a situation like this, a many a district attorney, many a legal bureau person would say, no, no, don't do a consent search. Wait, just seal the house up, get a search warrant. And they did do that the next day. Mm -hmm. We don't know at this point what, if anything, was recovered. What was the results of the interview with um, Jordan Willis? And a lot of people in the chat are baffled at the fact that he says he slept for, do, for two days straight and had no idea what occurred. Maybe he took the same dosage of the drugs that these gentlemen took, that uh, just Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington took, but he wasn't exposed to the elements he was inside right. they pot potentially died from hypothermia well we don't know yet because the results of the autopsy are not public but it, it was even said by dr michael Botten, the drugs could make you feel really warm and hot or hot and maybe they went outside to get some air or to like cool off and then passed out right and they died potentially and i'm not predicting this either from hypothermia. However, the toxicology report came back and said the fentanyl in their bloodstream was lethal. That alone could have killed them, Mike. Yeah, Billy, um, there's, you know, this is not a complete investigation yet. Uh, they're being very, the police, Kansas City police are being very tight-lipped. Platt County prosecutors being very tight-lipped. Um, you know, um, so we'll see in the future. But, um, yeah, the thing about uh, Mr. Willis sleeping for two days, as a cop, I have no problem believing that. I've seen, I said, I've seen people awake on crack for five days straight, nonstop, not not a blink. And I've seen people passed out looking like they are dead. You'd put a toe tag on these people, yet they still have a pulse and they'll sleep for two or three days. Yeah, there might be a bathroom break for Mr. Willis, but have you ever been sick with a nasty flu and it's knocked you out for a couple of days? Yeah, I don't think he was absolutely snoring, although he could. I've seen that sort of thing. Or it could have been like he had some sort he, he took some of the narcotic and uh, he didn't take as much as them. I didn't have a lethal, do a lethal, lethal dose in his system, and he, but it just knocked him unconscious. I could see that. I don't think anybody should say you, it's impossible to sleep for two days. I, I, I don't find that difficult to believe at all. Um, I, I'm like, I don't either. An alcohol and drug-induced stupor can right. absolutely do that. And I believe, yeah, he could have. But could he also not be aware of his three friends dead in his backyard? Sure. Same answer. An alcohol and drug-induced stupor, yeah, he may not. 
I want to play this with Dan Abrams here. Has learned that the police now have those toxicology reports. And they show fentanyl, cocaine, and marijuana in the systems of all three men who died. News Nation is told, and this really comes from the families who met with the police, that the amount of fentanyl is well beyond the lethal limit, not legal limit, lethal limit. Today, the toxicology reports shared with those families, 38-year-old Ricky Johnson, 36-year-old Clayton McGinney, 37-year-old David Harrington, after mounting pressure from family and the media, families have been really angry over the lack of answers up to this point. Meanwhile, the living friend, Jordan Willis, was a tenant in the home they've gone to, has moved out of the house, checked himself into rehab, never contacted the police, despite the men being dead and frozen in his backyard for two days. His family calling the deaths of his friends as a serious wake-up call. They're saying that this is what led him to go into rehab. After the shocking loss of three of his close friends under extremely tragic circumstances, Jordan recognized he had a problem with addiction. He immediately checked himself into rehab after vacating his home and putting his things into storage. Since the beginning of this case, police have said there were no signs of foul play. They were not investigating this as a homicide. And tonight they're just saying the case remains an ongoing death investigation. Joining me now, Jesse Weber, attorney and anchor for the Law and Crime Network, also a News Nation legal contributor, and my friend Mark Iglarsh, criminal defense attorney and former Miami-Dade County prosecutor. All right, so Jesse, now we've got this information about the fentanyl, um, a lethal limit. Where do you think that takes the investigation? So what we don't have is the autopsy report. What I mean by that is we still don't know the exact cause of death or manner of death. It looks like it could be the fentanyl. What we don't know is how they got the fentanyl. We don't know if they knew they ingested fentanyl. So many of the cases we cover are people who are given what they think is some other drug and it's laced with fentanyl. The person who supplied it actually ends up facing criminal charges. Because we don't have those answers yet, it then becomes a question of who introduced that into the mix. And remember, they all died together outside, which is a very eerie circumstance. And we know that Mr. Willis was allegedly passed out. So did they all take it together? That becomes the next question. We definitely have a piece of the puzzle, but now it becomes what do we do with it? But And Jesse raises an important point, Mark, which is whether it was intentional or not, it could be totally unintentional. And yet the person who supplied the fentanyl, whether it's the guy in the house, whether it's somebody else, could be in legal trouble. You know, uh, this is some of the same exact things we were speaking about. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I, I just want to bring up is that I think the police used bad language. You know, they said, we don't suspect foul play. When there was three dead bodies in someone's yard, that in itself is foul play, you know? And I think they just shouldn't have used that language to describe what they found. What we, they should have maybe said, what, what we found is not right now criminal. We're not finding it to be a homicide. But not to say that we don't find foul play when there's three dead 30-something-year-olds uh, in, in a yard. Uh, that's, that's poor use of language, I think. Yeah, it would have been better if they said, yeah, I think what I th think what they meant is there was no signs of, you know, you know, uh, vi visible signs of any sort of violence. I think that would have been a better way to say it, like there was nothing. But I think that's what they kind of meant when they said no foul play. And that's how I took it. And you, me, Phil, you and me uh, uh, and Phil took it that way. 
But uh, the general public would be like, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. But I, I think that's what they meant. There was no signs of blunt force trauma, stabbings, or, or any other sort of wounds. Gunshot wounds, anything. Yeah, like right. That. Something like that. Strangulation, nothing. So, yeah, poor choice of words. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, something, as I said, should the, the in a case like this, the police and the district attorney's office should absolutely meet with the families. Absolutely, to explain what they're doing, what the investigation has uncovered, what they're looking at now, and they they can't be closed mouthed about it because you got at least three families and more people than that right. that are screaming out for answers on something that seems very very suspicious. And when the police are uh, are saying, "Oh, there's no foul play," but there's three dead thirty something year olds in someone's yard. And now, with the toxicology reports back, we find out that they ingested fentanyl, uh, THC, uh, and cocaine, and mixed that with alcohol. That in itself is a deadly mixture. Yeah, and that lends itself, those findings lend themselves to thinking, many people thinking, well, now, is this going from a death investigation to a homicide investigation? Because is it accidental overdose? Or were they given these? Did they actually purchase these or were they given these? And the person who would get who had supplied it, whether or not it's Mr. Willis or one of the others or someone else that we don't know about, did they know that it could possibly be laced with some sort of uh, fentanyl? And therefore, you may have a reckless manslaughter charge. So, you know, it kind of opened up a, a can of worms for everybody in this uh, scenario right now. But we won't know until we get the final results on the toxicology and the final results on the medical examiner's office. Absolutely. Carmelita Dorsey, I would think a death investigation would be treated like a homicide until the investigation shows otherwise. Carmelita, I absolutely said that 100%. earlier on. 100%. I said the same thing. A death investigation should be treated as a homicide investigation until facts and circumstances and evidence uh, proves otherwise. All right. And then they can treat it as a death investigation. And I, I would say that I would have treated, uh, had I run this investigation, I would have treated it immediately as a homicide investigation. And then the case gets handed after it's processed by crime scene, after the interviews are over, after the police work is done on the scene, the case gets handled, handed to the scientists. Who is that? That's the pathologist. All right. That's the lab people that do the toxicology. Uh, so their determination of what occurred. And now, obviously, we have the early um, receipt of the toxicology report given to the family, and we hear about uh, a fatal amount of fentanyl in their system. And again, absolutely, whoever supplied this can be charged with murder. Mike? Right. Yeah, so that's that changes a, a lot because it, it just makes it look like it, it could still – in the end, it could still be unintentional, accidental, consensual, you know, voluntary uh, ingestion of narcotics that was lethal. It could be. We don't know. But once you add, once you look at the uh, fentanyl and the coke and the THC, um, people start to think, well, who supplied it? And is it, is it you know, um, a homicide investigation now? Like you say, better to err on the side of safety and treat it as a homicide investigation than, than not. Because if, as you say, once that crime scene is compromised, you can't go back 
and rewind it. And if God forbid somebody else moves in or a cleaning service comes in, the owner decides to clean up after Mel Mr. Willis left, you know, it just it could destroy everything. It could, Absolutely. It, yeah. The other thing, Mike, is is uh, Jordan Willis uh, checked himself into rehab. Right. To me, that is a twofold uh, reason. One, he needs drug rehab. Two, his attorney told him to do it because it protects you for the duration that you're there from law enforcement. No one can speak to you. You're protected by HIPAA laws. He could be in there for six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be protected and shielded from being interviewed or being arrested even if they came up with probable cause because he is, in fact, in a rehab facility. Yeah, I agree 100%. When I first saw this uh, information about Mr. Willis, I was like, Ah, as an attorney, I'd have him do that. Exactly. Just get him out of the picture completely. Isolate him where he can, you know, he obviously needs help. So you isolate him. You isolate him for his own good. And I think that is a good move as a, as a, as a prospective, uh, you know, defense attorney. His, his prize, prize, personal attorney, good move. Well, many people were upset that his personal attorney, John Paserno, had changed the story so many times mm -hmm. from the beginning of this investigation. He said different things and contradicted himself. That's the nature of attorneys. Uh, I don't know why anyone is uh, uh, surprised at that. I'm going to play a little bit of Cuomo. A news nation was all over there. But I do have to tell you, I know you hear reporters say all the time, we should know, we should know. No, not always, especially when there's a pending investigation. I totally respect that as an officer of the court myself. However, 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 if this is about not tailor-made drugs for one guys or an experiment among one group, if there is a product on the streets, Kansas City is not immune from what's been going on with fentanyl. And 2023 was a bad year, and they had an explosion from 2018 to 21 to 2021, like so many other cities across the country, like up a thousand percent. Okay, that's another issue of disclosure for the authorities. Because you want to warn people, be careful. Be careful what you're getting on the street and who you're getting it from. Let's bring in board-certified forensic pathologist, Dr. Priya Banerjee, and former FBI agent and News Nation Law and Justice contributor, Jennifer Coffendaffer. Um, first, uh, as a pathologist, uh, the idea of how little fentanyl it takes to kill you is something that is shocking even to habitual users. Am I wrong? Yes. Yes. No. That's... You know, I just listened to your whole opening, and I think what we can learn as a nation, as a lay nation, is how susceptible anyone is to this overdose phenomenon. Fentanyl is devastating our country. And unfortunately, these were three healthy young men having fun, and that got the better of them. Amazing. You see that, folks? That's a pencil. There's a little tiny dash of fentanyl on the tip of the pencil. That's enough to kill you, you know, and it's being mixed with other drugs and people are taking it unknowingly and losing their lives. And it's, I guess it's being done by organized crime to make money, to make other drugs more potent, mixing fentanyl in with it. And could that have happened here? Yes. Could they have purposely taken it? Yes, but most likely not. Uh, they took it un potentially unknowingly, and there was, again, enough fentanyl in their system uh, that was lethal that to kill them. And what you're showing is so critical 
it is like grains of sand that you need right. to overdose. We're showing it on the tip of a pencil. Medicine. We're showing yeah, it on the like tip of a pencil right now. Tip of a pencil, that little white granules that you see. Flex, they look like dust almost. Right. And, you know, a few grains of sugar. It wouldn't even occur to someone to just brush it off, really. And honestly, it's all white. And so what's happening is sometimes people think they're just getting cocaine. They don't know what they're getting. Right. And that little bit of fentanyl that's mixed in to, you know, make it better, it gets the better of them, unfortunately. Right. That little to overdose. I mean, look, I've been covering this uh, for over 20 years. I've been around it uh, longer than that. I've never been afraid of a drug the way I am with fentanyl. Uh, Jen, and we've talked about this before, it's because of the, the accidental killing. This isn't just like, oh, mm -hmm. you overdosed because you got it wrong or it was stronger than you thought. It takes like nothing. Now, in terms of the investigation, what does it mean that Jordan Willis isn't dead? And what that feeds for investigators, Jennifer, in terms of if there is criminal level of responsibility? Well, Jordan Willis isn't dead, and neither is individual number five, the other person that was there. And I really believe that this has to do with the chocolate chip cookie effect, which is basically these little amounts of fentanyl that are scattered throughout the drug. Are you going to get a chocolate chip or are you not? If you get that chocolate chip of that fentanyl, that is when you die. And so I believe likely that these two didn't get the big dose. Also, in terms of the investigation, certainly, if either of these two supplied mm. this drug, they are Absolutely. definitely. So, you know, Mike, we discussed that. Who uh, The person number five, obviously, that uh, he, his name hasn't, they know his name, right. really hasn't been disseminated through the press. But could the different uh, folks here have taken different dosages of this drug? But I think that more likely uh, the New York City OCME, uh, Dr. Baden, he came up with a, a more plausible theory, which is that these three gentlemen took this drug and they felt really overheated. Right. And they went outside and passed out and succumbed to the elements, which would have, and that we'll only know from the autopsy. Did they die from cardiac arrest, from hypothermia? We don't know that yet, but what we do know, and I'm saying this over and over again, is that they took a lethal amount of fentanyl. Mike? Yeah, Billy, whatever they were doing, whether they were smoking uh, marijuana laced with what they thought was cocaine, or they took smoking marijuana and they were snorted a little line of coke, but it had been uh, unwittingly, that the, uh, to them, they had no knowledge of, uh, was cut with um, fentanyl rather than you know, baby powder and all kinds of other talcum powder, and all kinds of other stuff that it's cut with. Um, and uh, so therefore, the, we, we're not exactly sure. Um, it's, you know, the fact that two people have come through that alive means maybe they didn't even bother or they took just a little bit and one goes off and he gets out and he's fine. He leaves his, and he goes back to his family. The other sleeping for two days. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. They got a little bit to nothing of the fentanyl and they got the marijuana, they got the THC, you know, but they didn't get that. And uh, it's the luck of the draw, as Jennifer Coffendaffer was talking about. It's what you get end up with. And if that tiny little speck is enough to kill you, you know, they should they should be playing a lotto now because they got lucky. 
You know, Mike, I remember in the um, in the early 1990s uh, when I was a young sergeant in a 2-4 precinct, there was some bad heroin going around. And by bad, I, it was too potent. It was way too potent. And it was killing people. Right. And I remember Hispanic officers would go around on the loudspeaker in Spanish because we worked in a largely Hispanic community. And they would make an announcement, do not buy the heroin wrapped in, you know, this this packaging called, you know, Super 8 or whatever it was called right. back then. Uh, it's lethal. People have died from it. So it happened. And it happened in Harlem. It happened all over. It happened with cocaine. Mm -hmm. It happened with crack. It happened with heroin. So this is not something new. But this new drug, well, relatively new fentanyl, is really an epidemic throughout this country. And it's come back right now. We've realized that these three guys, good guys, good family guys, working men, you know, just really decent people died from this. And it's such a huge tragedy. And, of course, we feel the pain of their families, too. And we want, the, you know, they're going to feel this forever because this was an un unnecessary three deaths of three good human beings. Yeah, Billy. There was a just recently, uh, several months ago, there was a child who who died at a childcare center in the Bronx because they were they had some fentanyl. Unfortunately, it was a private daycare. They had fentanyl stored like in a closet, and some of the employees got it on on their hands, and the kids got it, and the kids might have licked it, and so therefore, and a child died. Uh, it's it's so little. It's incredible how little can kill you. No, that's for sure. Mike, let me go to quick commercial. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime, from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. If you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel membership with Canem, five different levels. And as we advertise ourselves at, were real crime from a police perspective. And we appreciate all our fans, our friends, our subscribers for joining us. And we try to give it to you straight from our experience, our education. And, you know, we don't, we don't, we try not to go the sensational route. And uh, that's our style. <laughs> anyway, so Mike, I want to, I want to play Dr. Baden a little bit because I okay. think he explains it pretty well, um, uh, better probably than a lot of other people. And again, Dr. Abaddon was the New York City chief medical examiner many years ago, and he, he's an old guy, but he's still pretty damn competent. Them use the drugs together. The one fellow who comes in and sleeps on the couch indoors sleeps it off two days for a while, more than 24 hours, right? Whereas the other three get sleepy and pass out outside, and because of the weather and because of the snow, their uh, body temperature drops very quickly from 98 degrees to 80 degrees, mm -hmm. at which point, less than an hour, uh, the heart can't beat anymore accurately. So they die of a cardiac arrest due to hyperthermia. That, to me, uh, you know, I, and, and I didn't know that. I mean, this was explained pretty well by Dr. Baden. Right. That those three gentlemen, the victims of this, uh, Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington, they could have all succumbed to a cardiac arrest. But what was 
really the cause was the fentanyl that made them feel a certain way, that made them go outside and lay outside in a cold environment because the drug knocked them out. And uh, the drug is the villain here. Absolutely. Mike. Yeah, Bill, that's the strange thing about it is um, when they when this is all said and done, that you may have medical examiner's office saying they have the lethal dose, three times the lethal dose of fentanyl, but each and every each of those men, each one of those three gentlemen died of the exact same thing, a heart attack. And then and you know, uh, brought on by extreme hypothermia and the stress on the body. Uh, it won't make people uh, feel any better about how it turned out. And people might be like, well, well, didn't they die of the fentanyl? Well, they died of the heart attack, you know, caused by the stress from the fentanyl in their system going outside. It all worked together to, uh, to uh, kill them. But it's not going to be a very satisfactory answer to people when they hear that, most likely, that they died of heart attacks. Michelle Noir, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, does Narcan revive people who OD on Fenty? Yes, it does. Uh, and numerous cops, have their lives have been saved mm -hmm. throughout this country who had inadvertently come in contact with fentanyl and they were given, you know, Narcan and it saved their lives. It's very scary, you know, just to even getting it on your skin. I remember also back in the day, angel dust was a, a scary yeah. thing. Yeah. And if you came in contact with angel dust, you could and just have it near you. The fumes would get out and you'd be like, whoa, what the heck was that? And also the behavior of people that were high on angel dust was something that you didn't want to see, you know, and they would have superhuman strength and, you know, take 10 cops to bring down a guy who was on angel dust. And, uh, you know, we have all these experiences with these drugs oh, yeah. coming up through the years, different drugs that made their way into Harlem and, and the Bronx, oh, yeah. Manhattan, Lower East Side, you know, uh, Operation Pressure Point. All these responses from the NYPD to these drug, these new drugs that came out, and always a, a horrific thing. Let me play the rest of Dr. Baden. It is very unusual for three people using or four people using drugs together to die simultaneously from fentanyl. Uh, the the effects on people varies a great deal, so it's less likely to be overdoses and more likely to be hypothermia caused by passing out from the fentanyl. What, is, what does that tell you then if all four of them experienced, I mean, he fell asleep on the sofa. Thankfully, he wasn't outside at the time. The other three were. What does that tell you about the power, uh, how powerful these drugs uh, are? We don't know what all the drugs are. Fentanyl is the most powerful mm -hmm. of these drugs mentioned. Uh, and it varies a great deal. There was something in the paper about somebody having a 30. 30 the uh, fentanyl is measured in micrograms, mm -hmm. very small amount, causes a lot. Of, uh, at 30, some people will die 30, and other people can go up to 100 or 200 and not die. See, it varies on uh, the in individuals. So it would be extremely unusual for a true overdose uh, to kill them, but it, they would all get sleepy, mm -hmm. and if they pass out, in the snow, they die. One of the factors is it's a painless death. They don't have any pain when they pass out or they don't have any pain from the cold. So doctor, we know we're in the middle of a drug crisis and if the report is true that they were mixing the cocaine with fentanyl, there was a report and it was a bulletin done by the DA and they unclassified this. And the concern was people were using cocaine and fentanyl 
based together because they were using the fentanyl to substitute for the heroin. Why would people think that fentanyl is here? What, what type of effect? Because they sent this to all the medical examiners yeah. because people were dropping like flies. What makes them the same? Well, fentanyl and heroin, fentanyl and both are laboratory-made uh, chemicals. Or just drug narcotics. And they both have similar effects, but fentanyl is much stronger than heroin. Mm. And heroin is much stronger than morphine. Uh, which is the original one, uh, so that, uh, but when they're mixed with cocaine, sometimes addicts will mix a downer. Fentanyl is a downer, makes you go to okay. sleep. Cocaine is an upper, and some drug users think if you mix them together, it makes it safer, and that's not true. They'll right. mix it together, makes it worse, and many, most fentanyl deaths combine other drugs with them. Right. I'm happy to say I'm not an experienced drug user, so this may sound naive. Could it be that someone gets cocaine and you people put fentanyl in it and they don't know it? Oh, absolutely. That's part of the problem. There's, fentanyl's very cheap. It's very cheap for the drug uh, uh, lords and all, so that they can mix fentanyl with marijuana, they mix fentanyl with cocaine. And that's why, and it's much more powerful than the other drugs. So the, the four of them are the, uh, may not even known what they were getting. They might have thought they were getting cocaine and instead it's fentanyl. And that's why, as Lauren said, we have to wait for the official toxicology But you do report. have a witness, a it guy that lived like, through it, right? It sounds I mean, like the guy who was asleep on the sofa probably told police, because they said this is 100% not a homicide. People were accusing him, and he said, I didn't do anything. I bet he told police, this is the honest truth, this is what we were doing. Well, and maybe gave them the drug dealer's name or number, um, and then police knew what they were dealing with. Absolutely. That one thing, the police come there and they got things from the scene. So they may have uh, the packets or whatever the drugs were uh, were uh, yeah. contained in, and they would have known. And that's why they said right away that it's not a, a murder. And they right away said, gave the impression it was yeah. a drug overdose. And uh, uh, the uh, amounts of the drug are going to be very important into being certain about how the effects were. The initial report says trace of cocaine and Fentanyl. fentanyl is much more likely to cause death than I cocaine. I thought coke had you race. Fentanyl yes. overcomes what coke does? They do different things, but they don't overcome. They just add to each other. One makes you mm -hmm. higher, one makes you lower, but they don't cancel each other just, out, which some of the drug users think. You can't even anymore. You can't try it. You can't, it's not worth it. One uh, one mistake. A very little bit of, coca uh, of fentanyl can cause death. But a very lot may not. We, they they find fentanyl users drive you know driving erratically have a hundred don't do drugs. Don't Dr. do yeah. drugs, Dr. Biden. Thanks so much. That was probably the best report I've heard so far on this because he explained it. And you know something, this could be uh, just four or five guys getting together. The term used: a football watch party. Mm -hmm. They're drinking beers or whatever their alcohol of choice is, and then they decide to smoke some weed because they had THC in their bloodstream. I don't know where the fentanyl came in or the, the cocaine, but there was obviously drug use. Drugs and alcohol don't mix well either. And then going outside to the elements, uh, all of this was the perfect storm of something really bad about to happen, and it did happen. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this could turn into a homicide investigation based on whoever supplied this fentanyl. And it absolutely can be. And, Mike, I think you could probably explain that better than me. 
Yeah, if somebody is, um, you know, actually the person who's breaking down the Coke, cutting it from, you know, 100% purity to 10% purity to 5% purity, which is kind of what you normally would see on the street, like in New York. And it's so you take a, a box of, uh, you know, a kilo of Coke and you'd cut it down, uh, down to like 5%. So therefore you'd have 20 times the amount to now you could sell it. And you cut it with the cheapest stuff you could find, you know, powder, flour, um, you know, uh, ba baby formula, talcum powder, you name it, cut it down. And uh, this is what people do. Now, if somebody intentionally said, well, I've got some fentanyl here, I'll just mix that in to stretch it out a little bit more. And then they sell it to someone and that person then uses it or gives it to someone else. It's possible, theoretically possible you could charge that person with homicide, I'm sorry, murder or possibly manslaughter for uh, cutting the Coke with fentanyl. It's possible, but you know, that's, you got to look at what the actual fa facts of the case are, but it is possible the person who actually intentionally cut the Coke with fentanyl, they might be facing homicide charges. But there is also a very good possibility that they may not be able to find the derivation of this drug. Where did it come from? Right. Uh, what Mike and I were talking about, if it was bought off the street, hmm. drug dealers use certain packaging that identifies the drug as coming from a very specific dealer. And, uh, you know, K2, whatever they call it, it's on their packaging so that they can identify their drugs from the other drug dealers' drugs. If that's the case here, then, yeah, the police will have a, a place to begin their investigation. Right. But if this was, say this was a synthetic fentanyl, mm -hmm. you know, and there's people pointing their fingers at um, Jordan Willis that he was a chemist. And I don't know exactly where that's coming from. I don't know if that's vetted. I don't know if that's true. Um, but if that is the case, that will be part of this investigation and down the road someone will get arrested for, for murder for these these three uh, these three fellows, Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington. But at, until that occurs, until they do have probable cause, right now it's a, a death investigation with no probable cause to make it a potential homicide investigation. I want to play a little bit of Banfield right now. I can tell you that this was unexpected, not just for us, but also for the family members. Think about this. I've been knocking on doors, including the medical examiner's office, asking them, look, are you guys going to expedite this toxicology report? And basically they told me point blank, no, uh, this case is no different than anyone else that comes across our desk. But something must have happened. Something must have changed. Maybe it was that meeting with the Platte County prosecutor, because now all of a sudden we are seeing an expedition of this case. All of a sudden, preliminary toxicology reports are coming into the families, and they now know at least a portion of the story, which is inside of the bloodstream of those three men was fentanyl, cocaine, and THC. We don't know the actual specifics, the levels that might have been in that bloodstream. Certainly it was enough to go beyond well beyond the lethal dosage. Uh, but again, the actual toxicology reports are not in the hands of the families at this point. It's in the hands of the detectives and they have not turned that over yet, but at least the Kansas City Police Department decided that 
we need to give these folks some answers at least so that way they can get some closure. Right now, preliminary results, obviously we're asking for that toxicology report so we can get those details and we can report the official cause of death, but that still could take several more weeks. Yeah, and you would think that the families, I mean, it's one thing to get a phone call from the detective, right, to, to tell you here's what we can, you know, finally reveal. It's another thing to get your hand on the autopsies and, and you and your lawyer can go over them right. and decide what the next step is, like maybe wrongful death lawsuits, you know, like that's something entirely possible. You know, what? what is she talking about? What is she talking about wrongful death? This is so preliminary. She's already talking about a civil suit. Right. No right. one knows who supplied these drugs. Right. These are four, five friends. Maybe right. they exchange drugs together. I mean, what is she talking about? I, I mean, it's just, this is the kind of bullshit that they throw out there when they don't get the answers immediately from the police. It's like, hold, wait. You already got the toxicology report like three weeks or four weeks earlier than it was expected, and you're still making stuff up. It's like, I'm sorry, I get, I I get a little bit crazy with this stuff, you know? Bill, you know, it's one of those things where people, the, the speculation is so rampant. People are t- talking about Mr. Willis like he's Walter White in Breaking Bad, you know, making stuff, uh, fentanyl or crystal meth, you know, in, in, in his home. Now, now look, uh, the police were there. He allowed them to come in. They executed a search warrant later on, I believe. Um, if they had any idea, the police had any idea that he was the supplier, he was the maker of synthetic fentanyl. Um, I'm sure he would have been in handcuffs already and been charged with with some with mass order or or, or murder. But uh, that's not the case. So therefore, um, you know, everybody needs to just relax. You know, right. take, your foot off, <laughs> take your foot off the gas pedal, right. put it on the brake a little bit, right. slow it down. Let's wait until the experts. Give us the true information. Stop conjecturing. Stop inventing things that don't exist. Stop making up things on triple, quadruple, quintuple hearsay that that is not vetted. And they do it all the time. And it's like that's what creates this frenzy. You know, it really does. Yeah, it's just rumor made out of not facts but other rumors. So then you take a rumor. You add to it, you change it, you give it to somebody else. They take that rumor and go, oh, my. And then they change it. And and it's just, it's just insane speculation that after a while is pretty far gone from what the truth, the basic truth actually was. And uh, unfortunately, it, it gets people, as we always say in our in our line of work, you know, what most likely happened is what probably makes sense what makes the most sense what's the most common sense answer and we think we're getting to it now but nothing like he's a walter white breaking bad kind of guy that's you know making coke uh, coke and fentanyl and supplying it to everybody and and he's a, we now we can just jump on him he's the killer no no no, no. no we're not there Let's play a little little more Banfield because I, I want to get annoyed again. I'm curious, <laughs> Alex. I'm not going to suggest for a minute that you have been able to dig into the digital files of all of these people, the party guests, Jordan Willis, et cetera. That's likely something that is tightly held by, by the police. But is that a is that a mine that, that should be looked at at this point? The fact that maybe there was a whole bunch of chit-chat between all the guys before they came over for the visit to Jordan Willis's house pertaining to what they might be bringing with them for fun, party favors. 
I think that's a great question. I think that if this does move to criminal prosecution, certainly phone lines and text messages, Facebook messages, social media chats, that's all going to be closely examined. Obviously, we heard yesterday from the cousin of Clayton, Caleb, who said that this was just a normal activity that happens when surrounded by Jordan, uh, that he is known to manufacture and distribute drugs to his friends uh, for recreational purposes was that uh, line of thought. Uh, but certainly, I think the families, when speaking to them, they're not against criminal prosecution, but only if it actually is deemed to be criminal behavior uh, in terms of maybe passing out these drugs, which ultimately led to their deaths. They're not saying they're not pushing for that. But yesterday, it was mostly about just, look, we want answers. We're hoping to get those answers. And if it leads to criminal prosecution, great. Uh, but I think, honestly, that meeting with the Platte County prosecutor is probably what expedited this toxicology report, because now all of a sudden the Kansas City Police Department, the medical examiners are seeing real action being taken by these victims, families, and they're hustling it along. Yeah, I mean, I smell a wrongful death suit, probably three uh, wrongful death suits at this point from the three. All right. That, that's that's just ridiculous. Uh, she smells she smells a wrongful death lawsuit. OK, uh, that that's that's ridiculous. Look, the district attorney agreed to meet with the family. If the toxicology report is not done, no matter what anyone says, they can't expedite it. There are scientific tests that take time to do. They you know, something needs to uh, to, to take seven, six days eight days, 10 days in order to reach the test level. And no matter who, if the Lord comes down and says, expedite that toxicology, they, they can't do it. They can't just do it. At this point, somehow they had the, uh, the three drugs that were in the blood, which was, of course, fentanyl, THC, and cocaine. And they, they were able to release that and the families took a meeting with the district attorney and probably with the police that are running the investigation so as to explain to them what was going on in this investigation. But to prematurely talk about civil lawsuits when we don't even know exactly what happened yet is, uh, you know, it's, it's baffling to me. Yeah, Billy, they got the families got the preliminary results. They haven't had the final results from the lab or from the medical examiner's office yet. Don't. You know, uh, Miss Banfield, for all of her smarts, she puts the horse before the cart and talking about civil lawsuits. Um, that would be far in the future, if ever. And, um, you know, if you're going to if uh, the family members uh, are going to sue someone, um, you know, you'd have to establish that the fact that there's no like contributory negligence by the person who you're representing. You know, no, don't even don't even go there. It's it's not worth it. And uh it's so speculative. It's not. Don't uh, people in the chat shouldn't even bother listening to Banfield. Not at all. Well, you know, one of the things I just want to get back to, sort of, uh, of the beginning, and um, certainly uh, to find three dead bodies of thirty-something-year-old men in in the yard of a rented house, owned not owned, rented by Jordan Willis, who happens to be a PhD and an HIV researcher, mm -hmm. uh, so a smart guy. Now it turns out he has a drug problem. At least he checked himself into rehab. These these five friends got together to watch a football game, a football watch party, they called it, and they were doing what 
millions of Americans do on every Sunday during football season, and that's drink some beer and probably eat some food. And in this case, they were also doing some drugs. And as a result of that, three young men, Clayton McGinney, uh, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington, lost their lives. So naturally, many people are upset over this. Families are upset. Loved ones are upset. The community is upset. People want answers. And I used to always say this on the police department. Uh, if you want an answer, I'll give you one. If you want an accurate answer, you're going to have to wait. Right. You know, because I can't invent an answer when I don't have one. I can give you one that's not going to be true. But if you want a really accurate answer, I have to wait till I get the accurate information from the science part of the investigation, from the police part of the investigation, and from the uh, you know the tech technology part of the investigation, because all of that takes lots of time, and people don't want to wait. People are impatient. People want the information. They want the answers yesterday. Guess what? We don't have the answer yet. So I, I used to love when I would get a call downtown from some detective, some little chief's bucket boy. Uh, Sarge, what do you got on this case? I go, we don't have anything yet. And the chief would he'd be like, the chief's not going to be happy. I was like, oh, really? Really? What do you want me to do? Invent shit? You know, like, he's not going to be happy. Tell him, you know, tell him to go have another coffee. What am I, I going to tell the guy? He's not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, get it done yesterday. Yes. It's not the way it goes. No, it goes. absolutely not. But, you know, that's the, the mentality here is that they want to know immediately. They need, and, and the, the press, they demand it. They demand to know. No, guess what? You're not getting it. And then you can see, you know, I, I always thought, I actually have an deg undergraduate degree in broadcast journalism. My major was journalism, broadcasting, and speech. And I had learned back then I never became a reporter. Yeah, I did now. Yeah, years and years after my undergraduate degree. But was that a reporter is never supposed to make themselves part of the story. The story is the star, not the reporter. So don't make things up to make yourself the star, you know. And I guess a lot of reporters these days disregard that and they make themselves the star. Let me go to a quick commercial, Mike. Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in a New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. So Joe is a retired NYPD police officer and a fantastic defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Not only is Joe a fine defense attorney, but a huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. That's what he looks like. In case you're looking for him, uh, you, you can find him. It's it's not even a photo array. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, he's supported this show for like three years now. We really appreciate him. So, Mike, this case is not going away. It's it's really an important case. It's guess what? It you know something. One of the things, if there's any light at the end of the tunnel for this, maybe this case will save the lives of other people for because of the huge tragedy that it is. 
Yeah, Billy, that may be the only, you know, bright spot in this. The uh, the silver lining in the cloud is that it, it may be a horrific wake up call for some people who may be doing uh, coke and, uh, you know, thinking that it's, it's just coke and it's not going to really hurt you. You've done it in the past. Yeah. And then you could end up uh, like these gentlemen and you could be dead. Um, that's the only thing I could see coming from it. But um it's it's a hard lesson learned, sadly for and I, we got to feel sorry for their families. One hundred percent. This was uh, Elizabeth Vargas had a, another doctor on that I'd like to hear from here. Chairman of the Department of Anesthesiology at California Pacific Medical Center, Dr. Swisher, thanks so much for joining us. So we're still awaiting what the results of these toxicology reports are. We heard possibly cocaine. There's a lot of people who've been focusing on the possibility of fentanyl because these three appear to have just walked outside. One was found sitting in a lawn chair. How quickly would a fentanyl overdose happen in a person? Well, fentanyl is one of those medications which gets a lot of news because unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation about fentanyl uh, and how it's used and how it's ingested. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of substances that are bought on the street are contaminated with fentanyl, either purposefully or not purposefully, and people don't know that they're taking it. Uh, fentanyl is a narcotic. Um, it's a short-acting, very potent narcotic. It's uh, much more potent than morphine or heroin is. Um, and uh, fentanyl, depending on the route of, by which it's ingested, can you know work immediately, or if it's ingested orally, it can take a, sh a, a longer time to to um, to um, take effect. Right. So you know we're speculating as to whether fentanyl is in there or not. But you don't have to have fentanyl. Uh, it could have been like you hear poly substance abuse. And if you look at uh, Heath Ledger, or you look at um, Matthew Perry or Whitney Houston or Tom Petty or Prince, all these people were engaging in poly substance abuse. And poly substance, the, meaning they were taking a lot of things. There wasn't just correct. one thing found in their sure. system. Exactly, Ativan, Ambien, um, you know, cocaine. Ketamine. Um, ketamine, uh, in the case of Matt Perry, exactly. Just keep in mind that even though they said that the cause of death of Matthew Perry was ketamine, Matthew Perry fell asleep in a hot tub because of ketamine and he drowned. Right. Um, not that the ketamine is what killed him, but it was the proximate cause of his death. So that leads me to this question. The fourth man who was renting the house, named Jordan Willis, uh, says he yeah. spent two days sleeping on the couch. He has now reportedly right. checked himself into rehab, saying that this whole experience has been a, quote, wake-up call. Could he right. also have been suffering from the same effects of whatever drug or drugs the three victims who who died took? They just happened to be outside when they succumbed and he was fortunate enough to be inside and not in freezing cold? Yeah, exactly. I mean, unfortunately, these medications are essentially anesthetics. It's what I do for a living. I mean, that you give people enough anesthetics and they'll fall asleep. Uh, and these drugs are additive in their effect. And so... Again, similar to Matthew Perry, he didn't die necessarily because of the ketamine. He died because he drowned in a hot tub. These men died because they fell asleep in sub-zero temperatures and they they developed hypothermia and froze to death. So that's the you know the cause of death is hypothermia, but as a result of intoxication with multi-substances, which caused them to stop breathing, fall asleep, the whole, essentially. The whole group had been partying and watching the football game together leading up to this. Neighbors say they saw the men going into the house with uh, two 30-packs of beer. Um, yeah. Could alcohol also have played a role in all this? 
Absolutely. I mean, alcohol alone uh, could have played a role in this. If you drink enough, uh, you will fall asleep. And, uh, um, and so they, it, it's just it, intoxication to the extent where you pass out and you do that in, again, sub-zero temperatures. I'm sure that's happened you know, many times in history. Uh, fishermen or people out in the cold fall asleep from drinking too much and then develop hypothermia. It doesn't take long to die from hypothermia. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's unfortunately the case. Bottom line, yeah. in, in many of these cases, a drug or alcohol and drugs or alcohol alone may have caused them to fall asleep or pass out, but it's the cold that killed them. Yeah, the cold that killed them. And, you know, exposure and hypothermia, uh, again, as you as you develop hypothermia, your respiratory rate decreases, your metabolic rate decreases, and uh, eventually you uh, will have a cardiac arrest from you know hypoxia and not breathing. I assume this uh, is why we haven't gotten the autopsy report yet. Then that toxicology is in, but the autopsy is not. Right, uh, toxicology. You know, they say it takes six to eight weeks, but you know, if you have a good sample of blood, or sometimes they take fluid from the vitreous of the eye, depending, you know, wherever it comes from. Uh, this can be done almost immediately. It's a gas chroma chromatography or there's other laboratory tests. Autopsies are a physical examination of the body and it takes not a, a pathologist a, a, you know, a period of time right. to do it and they want to be complete. Okay, thanks so much. So I, th that, was, that was excellent. That was yeah. uh, really a well, uh, easy to understand. Mm -hmm. He referred to the poly amount of drugs. They were mixing drugs together. Mm -hmm. They were mixing them with alcohol all of those things, but he also said that more than likely they died from hypothermia as right. a result of, and he referred to some other cases, other famous cases, Whitney Houston. He didn't Matthew refer to Perry. Tom Petty. Someone else in the chat referred to Tom Petty. Yeah, A lot of Matthew Perry, uh, people that take drugs and sometimes bad things happen to them, like drowning in a hot tub because you pass out and you can't stay awake. Um, Cindy Goddard, thank you so much for the $10 super sticker. Most states have programs that offer free Narcan now. I urge everybody to look into that. I'm not sure that could have helped in this case, but I can assure you it does save lives. Cindy Goddard, you're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, I am a proponent of that. It saves the lives of unintended people that had no intention of using drugs that may have come and contacted through some other reason or some other way, like first responders for that matter, can come in contact with it. And uh, yeah, they could die if that, uh, if it's, you know, if, if it's not given to them. Schmitty, I get that I do, but Willis was known to cook things up. So while maybe they wanted something, maybe that wasn't it. I'm not sure, Schmitty, what you were referring to. I just read your chat because I know you. <laughs> Carmelita Dorsey, Carmelita became a YouTube member. Carmelita, welcome to the Police Off the Cuff site. You know, guys, I just want to mention also for anyone that's not subscribed, please go on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell, share us with your friends. We're just like, we're like 60 from 60,000 uh, subscribers. And it's like I've been stuck at that number for the last few days. And I hope that this show will knock us over 60,000. And I appreciate, I see some new names in there. So just hit that subscribe button. It's free to subscribe to us. You'll be glad you did. You'll become part of the police off the cuff family. You get to have Professor Mike here, hear your uh, hear your confession every once in a while. Uh, uh, you get to see Phil Grimaldi straight out of Brooklyn, and you get you get to listen to us, and it's a it's a pretty good show. Mike, I just you know I had to address some of these things, and of course this case 
is a huge, huge tragedy. And there's always, whenever you get a case like this, um, I think sometimes the press overreacts and they, they want blood. They want immediate um, gratification. They want to know everything that occurred. They want to know how it occurred, where it occurred. And they want blood. They want someone arrested. And that's on the screen, Jordan Willis. And he's become the flavor of the day. Everyone wants him arrested. If, they, if the police could have arrested him, they would have done so already. They would have had probable cause. But, however, the investigation is not over. All right? This is a death investigation. If it becomes a homicide investigation down the road and someone is going to be held accountable, that will happen. And then you have, you know, members of the press already talking lawsuits like, who's getting sued? We don't even have any culpability here yet. Right now we have five friends drinking and doing drugs together. Now, what can be proved? We don't know what can be proven yet. So let's hold off till there is some proof. Mike. Yeah, Billy, it seems that it's all about the clickbait, getting clicks. Uh, so you you put out something that has some, uh, you know, some sort of speculation and people want to click on it and, and check it out. And that's what it seems to be about. It's not about gathering facts. It's about, you know, hypothesizing and then having someone talk about the, your hypothesis rather than talk about what, what, what facts, new facts we had to move us forward in our understanding. You remember the Koberger case? People were talking about it being a cold case after only a month. Like, oh, my God, we got to, this is a cold case. Well, no, this case, too, it may, by the time they finish, it might be March. It might be a, a, a couple more weeks before they even get close to finishing this case. So this is not a cold case. No need for rampant speculation. Um let the police do their job and let all the reports come from, you know, the, uh, the medical examiner's office, the detectives. Uh, I'm sure they'll be, there's a team of detectives working on this and you've got the uh, medical examiner. You've got the, uh, uh, the, um, um, the stuff from the lab with regarding their blood. Um, uh, there was, as they say, there's going to be um, information from their cell phones. That all takes a little bit of time. So if, if this isn't done and wrapped up and a final decision made in four weeks, that's not unusual whatsoever. I think people just need to, you know, have their patience. Just be, just be patient. Absolutely. Um, Pine Needle Protagonist, love that name. Thank you so much for your rational coverage here. I've been so annoyed by chats and news. I'm so tired of the blame game. These men were grown and knew the risks of being that F- apostrophe d up <laughs> uh you're right you know um no one wants to uh you know sort of point the finger of self-responsibility here but in the end that is really important and sometimes when people do drugs as we know everyone's had family members or friends that have been involved in drugs and and usually it doesn't end well and in this case, it couldn't have ended any worse. And as we said early on in the show, uh, in our opening, we really feel for the family and we, we sympathize with them. And especially we sympathize with those three, three young men that lost their lives, Clayton McGinney, Ricky Johnson, and David Harrington. I'm sure they didn't go to that football watch party that day 
with the intention of losing their lives, you know. And I said early on that the football game was actually on the 7th. Their bodies were not discovered until the 9th. So two days went by, and that's the two days that allegedly Jordan Willis passed out for two days. And I know many people in the chat, maybe many people following this case, do not believe that. And they, how could you fall asleep for two days? A couple of these doctors said, yeah, it's absolutely possible with fentanyl, with cocaine, with THC, with alcohol all mixed together. Yeah, you could be in alcohol, drug-laced stupor for two days where you just pass out and you don't wake up for two days. I know no one wants to believe that because three of his friends were laying dead in his backyard. And uh, that's a hard thing to take, hard thing to explain. Mike, your final words. Final words. Just uh, for anyone who's listening, and thank you very much, just don't listen to the speculation. Don't click on links that have, you know, wild speculation. You know, follow, follow you know, police off the cuff because we'll give it to you straight from a police officer's point of view. Wow. That was well said, Mike. I think we're going to pick up 60 new subscribers and put us over 60,000 just because of that, just because of those words right there. It's almost like Father, uh, Father Geary gave his uh, – Gave his sermon right there. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Have a great night, and God bless everybody. Good night. One episode, just ain't enough.